and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be discussing the Oklahoma City Thunders' first two preseason games against the Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks. And also, I'm going to be giving you guys a game preview for tonight's matchup against the Adelaide 36ers. And I want to round it all out by talking about one of the most fun basketball games I have seen in a very long time. Victor Webinyama going up against Scoot Henderson. Just my takes from that one and how it's going to impact teams moving forward going on into the regular season. Starting things out though with OKC's preseason starter here against the Denver Nuggets. Rewinding the tape a little bit, I was not able to discuss it in the latest podcast, but you have a pretty large rotational shift going on. Eight-player trade between the OKC Thunder and the Houston Rockets, uh, and you cannot forget, uh, you know, about the Vic Credci deal as well, where he gets moved to Atlanta, uh, and then you kind of progress to the point where OKC is trading away Ty Jerome, Teo Maladon. And Derek Favors, and in exchange, they end up getting Sterling Brown, David Nwaba, Marquise Chris, and Trey Burke. Haven't seen Chris or Burke traveling with the team. It's just been Nwaba, and Brown was waived early on so he could filter in some guys. Sasha Calais Jones was the addition going into game one, and this is something that I've stressed on. Numerous occasions, even on the SI side of things, when you know I was over publishing daily there, the Thunder they work in a way, and this is how every team works. But you see it in training camp. You use the preseason as a vehicle to load your roster, not just at the NBA level, but I think in particularly at the G League level. You know, you're looking to find diamonds. You're looking to find guys that could be on two-way deals that could get attention later on. And they've done a hell of a job doing it the last couple of seasons. Guys like Omer Yurt Seven. Technically, he was on the training camp team, right? But he he wasn't. You know, he was on the team for like a day to get Exhibit Ten rights. They did that with others such as Antonis Cleveland, Rob Edwards, Xavier Simpson. They were picked by virtue of the G League draft, you know, that's value that's really hard to find. And then even last year as well, you know, you're taking on a guy like DJ Wilson on that kind of contract. That is absolutely ridiculous given his status as a former first round pick. But look at him now. You know, he just came off dropping nine points and eight rebounds in like 13 minutes for the Raptors in their last game. So he has been excellent. Big thing, though, is you need to secure players, and you do that with Exhibit 10s during the preseason. They already lost Gabe Brown to this because the Raptors signed him to an Exhibit 10 after the Summer League. Kalea Jones sticks around, signs his deal, so he should be playing for the OKC Blue going into their season. But just going into this game, you know, this is a very interesting setup, of course, because you don't have Chet, you don't have SGA, you don't have Lou Dort. OKC's kind of stripped down of their main pieces. So Trey Mann's at the one, Giddy's at the two, Kenrich Williams gets the starting nod, and then you have Alexei Pukashevsky and Jeremiah Robinson Earl in that front court. So Poku's starting over Baisley. That's kind of one key note there. You know, I would have expected Bays to probably be the starter, but it's always good to experiment during the preseason. 
And for the Nuggets, it's one of those situations where you definitely want to play your starting guys, guys like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. They've been away from the game for a year. They make their return in this one. Jokic is playing. Aaron Gordon's playing. Everybody's active. But you're not going to play them, you know, 20 to 30 minutes in their first preseason game against the OKC Thunder because they're playing a lot of youth. That's an ideal game, really, to play the back end of your rotation, see who you might want to kind of utilize when the regular season actually kicks off. But OKC looked really good to start out the first quarter. Trey Mann stuck out like a sore thumb. He was getting it to go down basically everywhere on the offensive front. They were up nine points after the first quarter complete opposite side where Denver now has a one-point lead going into halftime but OKC just continued to pick away uh, at the Nuggets and they did a really good job I mean ultimately they win this game 112 to 101 and by the end of it you know it looks like OKC sort of had this one in the bag You kind of need to delve into the details of the game to really uh, get down to how they won this basketball game. This was a really good game for them. And one of the things that has just plagued the Thunder, and there's really two things. It's the front court and it's the three ball. Front court, that's not something you you can fix immediately right now. JRE is going to have to be that center. He's a solid, solid piece. Not his natural position. Uh, and guys such as, you know, Jay Will, they're going to filter in as well, but you don't have Derek Favors anymore. Mike Muscala, you know, he was not available for this game. So you have to kind of get creative with things. So they're going to have that card kind of not going their way every time they go into matchups. Uh, but what they can do is they can open up that third level. They shot 37% from distance in this game. That's exactly what they need to win basketball games. This is not a team that has shot, you know, in the upper crust of the NBA for the last couple years. They simply just have not had the correct guys. You know, this is a team that has some three-point shooters, sure. But is there an elite presence? Not really. And guys that field a lot of minutes, they're shooting 30, 31, 32% from distance. That's not going to be a key Uh, a key win for you you know you need those guys in particular at the forward positions shooting at least 35 percent from distance so that's why guys like Kenrich Kenrich Williams Lou Dort have been so valuable to this team and why guys like Aaron Wiggins are now kind of climbing up the ladder a little bit because they just have to have guys like that one player that has been dominant from this area from the get-go has been Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. And I keep talking about it. I'm probably not going to shut up about it. I had him mock 12 to the Thunder immediately. I had him as a lottery talent. I thought that, you know, for what his skill set was, it fit what the Thunder needed perfectly because he naturally has guard skills, like point guard skills, but he has the frame of a two or three. The Thunder need help at the two or three, and they need somebody to kind of put a bow on what's going on in their guard situation because they had three set in stone guys you need that fourth j will or j dub comes in he's that fourth but he gives you so much and he showed the versatility in this opener he ends up going for 10 points and five assists on four of eight shooting no three balls went in for him but the big thing is just seeing him orchestrate and he was able to really hold guard duties a lot during this first game 
He led the team in minutes with 26 in this one. I don't expect this to be a natural thing. I don't think he's going to be the primary uh, ball handler. But could we see him in secondary roles this year where maybe he's playing off of screens? Absolutely. I think that's where he thrives. The Thunder realize that. And this whole team is really structured off of high ball screens and being able to kind of attack the basket and either get buckets there, get fouled, or kick it out to the corner uh, for a potential swing around or just pop it off the catch. So he continues to look very, very good in that aspect. Trey Mann. Very good as well. Led the team with 17 points, three of six from downtown. He's really the type where he's going to either ignite for 30 points or he'll still be a solid presence. Like, I think it's, if I'm going to rank consistency from distance, he might actually be number one in terms of the guards right now because he's good off the catch and he's good dribbling it, going in ISO, and he can do it at all three levels. So he's really stamped himself as a six man. You know, I've seen talks of him potentially being a starter, you know, getting that starting minutes. I think he'll get starting minutes, but I don't think he'll actually start. It makes more sense to have him as that lead man off the bench because there's only one ball going around. If you have him playing alongside Giddy and SGA for the majority of those, that's probably not the best way to cut minutes, at least as I envision it. I think it'd be better to maybe play someone like J-Dub over him just based on the skill set and how the ball gets moved around. You don't want him as a tertiary option. He's a clear-cut number one or number two in terms of ball handling duties the way that I view it. So this was a good game, clearly, for them. You know, you did have some guys maybe not shoot the best. Usman Jang, he laid an egg going one of six, but it really was not that bad. Uh, for him. He looked good defensively in this game. Alexei Pokushevsky, he was a bit on the quieter side. He looked good on the glass, though. And how about Aaron Wiggins off the bench? He ends up going for 15 points on 20 minutes. 5 of 8 from the field, 4 of 4 from distance. This is what I'm talking about. If you are going to have a real role on this roster, you have to hammer out what this team needs. This is about filling primary issues if you're going to be that 11th 12th man on the roster the final guy getting 12 minutes in a game you have to do exactly what is needed Aaron Wiggins even last year was doing this where he could come in and make an impact shooting it but also defensively is fairly sound as well where he can guard multiple positions so I really like what I saw from him obviously there's really no blemish to this shot chart but Throughout the last two seasons, you know, he has gone way beyond what the initial bar was for a 55th pick. And, you know, he's going to have minutes going into the season. Uh, That's obviously if Dort would be inactive or SGA still being inactive, even when they are active. I think it'd be very hard to pass on him just based on how he's able to address the three ball, which is really what they... Um, and what they can fix right now, that's the number one thing that they need to kind of hammer in on. So they end up picking up the win here. Continuing along with the Thunder's preseason stretch, one roster change was made between game one and two, and it was related to the OKC Blue. Sasha Clay Jones is out. He played three minutes in the first game, and they bring on Robert Woodard the second. And this is very interesting. If you guys have been checking on my Twitter throughout the summer, I've had an actual graph 
showing or chart, excuse me, showing where everybody from last year's blue team has gone. Basically, everybody has departed. They've gone overseas. They found a training camp deal. And there's just a few players left. And that means they're free agents. They're unsigned. Jamias Ramsey's one of them. And Robert Woodard II was another one. And Woodard was very interesting. Last season, Woodard was a really good G League player. And in the bubble, when you only had 15 G League games, Woodard was an absolute stud. He played for Stockton, had to get moved to the Austin Spurs because Stockton didn't field the team in Orlando that year. Balls out. Spurs clearly like him. But they didn't show their card till later last year. The Thunder traded for Robert Woodard last season. They shipped away Melvin Frazier, who ultimately got a two, two-way contract to close the year out. He was very good with the blue. 6'6", 7'2", wingspan, fit that profile. That's a real asset in the G League. They traded him for Woodard. Only plays three games, or five games, excuse me. And then the Spurs signed him to a two-way contract. Blue lose the rights to him. Ends up playing for the Spurs a little bit here and there. And it looks like that he was probably going overseas or he was going to stay in Austin. OKC ends up getting him back and Nazi Muhammad ultimately gets his guy back. Woodard, former selection in the 2020 NBA draft. Number 40, that was the selection for him out of Mississippi State. Interesting, interesting player. He's six foot six, 230 pounds, so he's a bit on the bigger side. He was utilized as a front court piece, though, in the G League. And does that translate to the NBA level? I'm not exactly sure. But based on how OKC has played, he kind of fits into that as well. He's a kind of unique piece in the sense that he was very up and down from distance as a collegiate player in terms of the G League ranks. You know, he didn't really establish himself there. But he was still nonetheless someone you had to kind of keep on that radar. So he returns back as a really, really valuable piece with Calais Jones already there. He's a guy who's just dominant on the offensive glass. Robert Woodard is another guy whose offensive rebound percentage is actually pretty high. That's the kind of front court that wins you games in the G League. So in terms of how they've constructed their roster, they've already done a really, really good job. So it's those two... From what I've been told, uh, Jemias Ramsey should be back for this team. So that gives you Ramsey, Kalea Jones, and Woodard the second to work off of. That's a pretty strong base. And then Jaden Shackelford, if he ends up returning, haven't heard news on him. He signed an Exhibit 10 over the Summer League period, so he could very well be back. And then OKC has three top 15 selections in the G League draft. They're going to have a lot of young talent, and they're going to ha- probably have assignments filtering in and out of the blue this season. So it's a very, very good cushion for these G League assignments to really prosper. And if someone such as Lindy Waters ever dips back down, I don't know if he really will this year. It's going to be a really suitable environment for him because you have guys that are going to rebound the basketball. You have a guy in Jemias who can handle it or he can kick it out to you. Just You can see the, the building blocks kind of coming together right now. So I like this pickup of Woodard. He ends up playing in this game, though, against the Mavericks. And it's another just back-and-forth battle at the BOK Center. 
Do they bring back the Tulsa 66ers? I don't know. They do, they do have one game. The Blue play one game in January at the BOK. It's an 11 a.m. game, so it's probably like a field trip deal. But they do have a game. Anyways, just changing the lead back and forth, back and forth. Mavericks aren't suiting up a lot of their guys. No Tim Hardaway, no Maxi Kleba, no Davis Bertans, no JaVale McGee, and no Luka Doncic. So Dinwiddie, Josh Green, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, and Dwight Powell are your starting five. So kind of a deconstructed roster. OKC gets the same break there. But the Mavs are playing Christian Wood. Great player. McKenley Wright, good player. And Jaden Hardy, great player. Second round steal. I think that was just the consensus if you were following draft Twitter. And he popped off. Last quarter just had his name written all over it. He ends up finishing this game with 21 points in 24 minutes. And he virtually could not miss in that final frame. He takes over to give Dallas a 98-96 win. OKC goes 1-1 one one here. But they still had a lot of good moments. Josh Giddy was the star to open this game. I think he started with... Um, Man, it must have been 8 of their first 10, I believe it was. He finishes this game with 13 points, 2 rebounds, and 3 assists. But just attacking the basket, so, so valuable. And in preseason play, defensive, they, they tend to break down. You're not playing your starting front court guys. You might not have the same communication. So that's when you can really, really do some damage. That's exactly what Josh Giddy did to open the game. And then adjustments were made. OKC, given the nature of how they played from distance, had a stellar, stellar contest. They shot 34 times at the free throw line. Dallas shot 16 times, doubling that output. How do they do it? They keep going to the rack. If the three-point shot does not work for them, you try not to shoot it. And for a close game like this, you don't want to right? You want to try to draw fouls or find high percentage looks coming off of screens. They just continue to run it. They continue to find some baskets here. And that's ultimately what kept them in this game. David Nawaba in 12 minutes was very interesting. Whenever he got acquired, it looks like he would be one of the first guys gone, but he is putting up a fight, you know, as a veteran type of player uh, for this roster. I think he would be ahead of Chris He'd be ahead of Trey Burke. Neither of those two guys are around. And you wouldn't expect to see someone such as Robert Woodard being on a standard contract. He ends up going to the line seven times in 12 minutes. Hit six of those seven attempts. Defensively, two steals. I mean, he is like an energizer bunny. And that's something that this team really likes. Kenrich Williams, he's been given, you know, Kenny Hustle for a reason. Lou Dort. Hustler. David Nwaba, he is a hustler. He's a plus on the defensive side of the basketball, but you're not going to be able to pocket him on a two way deal. You have to play him as a standard contract. Does that tilt the scales? Does that make him someone you cut? I don't know. Clearly, the Thunder have interest in him if they're giving him the platform to play in these games. And he is in the active rotation right now. So that's something that I think everybody should really take note of. Another thing to take note of. Eugene Omorui also doing a good job around the basket. We saw this in Summer League. Is he the most agile guy? Is he going to dunk on people? Probably not. 
but he is tough. Same build as Lou Dort, really. And he's just looking to, you know, create contact, create havoc. I really liked what I saw from him. And I really liked what I saw from Usman Jang. Usman is still a project. Whenever I discussed his selection and whenever I really broke down his game at the Summer League, my main takeaway was that I I didn't see him as a player that immediately should get minutes. And it's not because of talent. It's not because of potential. If you're looking at that, clearly he's going to be getting minutes. You picked him 11th in this draft. But he's very, very young, very raw. And in terms of compatibility, it just didn't look ideal in the summer league even with josh giddy and no sga in the mix he was just restrained to the corner and the three ball was not really there in new zealand right like he had a good hot stretch at the end of the season but before that you could not see him buy a bucket from that range he's kind of getting into it he shot one of two in this last game he's looked very confident from distance even in las vegas So I think it might be doable, but the big selling point is the defensive side where he is just so lengthy. He's able to disrupt so much and he's so quick on his feet that has real value from the get go. So it makes him someone that might not be an immediate move down to the blue. I probably would still lean towards him having that assignment at some point because the best way to develop him is putting him on ball. I don't think you're going to get the best making him a catch-and-shoot guy right away. And if you're going to assign him, you need to do it early. But if they were to keep him afloat in the NBA the entire time, I wouldn't be 100% opposed to it. You know, I still have my side to that debate. But I wouldn't be opposed to it. He is definitely someone that you can plug in right now and he would make an impact for this team. Same exact breakdown for J-Dub as well. He ends up with 10 points, 5 free throws for him. He just fits the mold of whatever the team ends up needing. The one thing that nobody could get though was just that 3-pointer. Poku and Man had 2 3-balls. That was as good as you were going to get. These guys shot, in total, 6 of 32 from distance. 18.8%. You're not going to win basketball games by that. Uh, So the fact that it was a two-point game really shows how dominant they were in finding their way into the painted area. It's just one of those deals where you have a lot of up-and-down type of players on this roster. You know, you kind of just roll with the punches, really, and you see where it goes. Uh, They ended up having a 10-point lead at at one stage here, but that's when you kind of got the Jaden Hardy show going. And, um, you know, the shot creation with him is just very, very special. Um, you know, he's, he's hitting movie mid ranges across the, you know, baseline a couple times. Like when he's in the zone, he's in the zone. It's very difficult to cover him. So that was just my big deal. You know, I, I, the thunder, they're sticking to their script of last season. That's the best way they need to play with this rotation, but They have a lot of guys that can make some special, special plays. And they're going to be doing that going into tonight's game against the Adelaide 36ers. And just giving a little bit of background, if you guys have followed me on Twitter, you understand this. You probably see my tweets and you're like, this guy talks way too much about the G League. Big fan of the G League right here. Really everywhere you look, you're going to see G League players at some facet. Whether it's on an NBA roster, 
G League roster, obviously, but even overseas, the G League is just everywhere. Worldwide, you're going to see these players and you're going to see them very, very successful at what they're doing. On Adelaide's team, they have an assortment of very fun players that have taken this G League route. They've hit the mainstream now. They defeated the Suns by a sizable margin earlier in this week. And Craig Randall has gotten the attention that he has deserved. He was a tryout player a year ago. He tried out for European clubs, tried out for a collection of G League teams. I believe it was three that he tried out for, and he stuck around with the Long Island Nets. He ended up averaging 26.7 points per game as a rookie last year for the Nets. Did he average 23 shots a game? Absolutely. He was able to put the ball in the basket, though. He is a straight-up scorer, and he dropped 35 against Phoenix, for goodness sakes. He is an NBA-level player offensively. That's a real threat going into this game. You know, there are way more than 450 people in this world that can throw down buckets. Craig Randall is most definitely one of them. He's not the only one that I'm looking at, though. Antonius Cleveland is returning. I did a podcast on him over the summer. I did podcasts on him two years ago. One of the foundations of the OKC Blue when I started covering them in the 2020-21 to season. He was on a stacked roster. I don't think the 2020-21 to Blue will probably be topped just because of how much talent they were able to cram into 15 games. This is even without the guys that were moved down like Ty Jerome or Alexei Pokashevsky. This is strictly two-way players or Exhibit 10 guys. Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7 were basically like two times, you, you get two shacks on the same team. That's ridiculous. And then on top of it all, Xavier Simpson, Rob Edwards, and then you get Cleveland. He was potentially like the fifth guy that you would bring up talking about this team, but he was the most consistent player they have had, I think really point blank. And he ended up showing that that was no fluke when he played in the NBL a season ago. So when he played for the blue, he averaged 15.1 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 3.1 assists. Last season, he ends up making the jump to the Illawarra Hawks. He just strictly stayed in the G League to that point, spreading his wings a little bit, playing for the Hawks. Averages 14.1 points, 6.4 boards, and 2.3 assists. Wasn't much of a three-point shooter. He was definitely one for the blue, but he dropped down to the low 20s. Not what you want to see. Defensively, though, only player in the NBL last year to place top 10 in both blocks per game and steals per game. Defensively, he was a Swiss Army knife. In general, he was a Swiss Army knife. One of the top players in the NBL, he was awarded as such. Best Defensive Player Award, so basically Defensive Player of the Year, went to him. And he was also All-NBL First Team. Just signed a pretty good deal with the Adelaide 36ers this year. And as you saw against Phoenix, they have a squad. This is not going to be a cakewalk for the OKC Thunder. I think this is really going to be a toss-up where Adelaide could end up winning this thing. And this is based off of me watching some of these guys. Craig Randall, 
he could play in the league if he needed to and if he wanted to if, if he had the opportunity he'd play at that level Antonius Cleveland if given the opportunity he's gonna be able to slide in and be a pretty good role player look at all these other leagues there's lots of guys that could make that sort of impact just so little of spots and everybody I talk to um, you know that has been there that has been in the G League has been you know fighting for roster spots in the league it's always the same thing of you know there's too little of spots there are more people qualified for this position than there are available so that's why you're starting to see talent just all over the place the game is progressing big time you can see these guys pop off for 30 points you know two guys dropping 30 in a game for Adelaide tomorrow or tonight I wouldn't bat an eye they have real skill here and they've been on the same page for two months they've been playing regular season games and now they're taking the trip to OKC they could ultimately if they get hop and three steal this one away so many different threats I'm going to be looking at Craig Randall. I'm going to be looking at Antonius Cleveland pretty, pretty big in this one. And Cleveland, if he stays part of the course in his return, probably shoots 7 of 9, 7 of 10 from the field, picks up a good 15 points and calls it a night there. I mean, he is really a two-way threat. So I'm very pumped. I'm actually going in person uh, to cover this game for the podcast. So I am stoked. As, you know, someone who's kind of like that G League junkie, overseas junkie, this is the game that I kind of have marked down on my calendar. It's not even the regular season yet. This might be the most excited I am for one of their home games in a very long time. Just because you get to see that widespread view. And, you know, even for the Thunder angle, Josh Goody. He used to play for the Adelaide 36ers. This is going to be a really good opportunity for some guys like Usman Jang. Some of the rookies to kind of get their feet wet and go out and battle. Probably going to have a new addition to this Thunder roster as well as you get into Thursday morning. If you're looking to field another blue roster spot. So somebody new is going to be on this team. There's going to be different storylines. I think for myself, being from that blue angle, I'm really excited to see Antonius Cleveland back. He never really played in Oklahoma City because he was in the bubble. But... Still, I think symbolically, the return going to be very, very good. And for OKC Blue fans, make sure to tune in to kind of catch that action there. It's going to be a fireworks show. I think Craig Randall and Trey Mann could just start exchanging three-pointers. I don't know. If they're both locked in, I don't know if either of them miss. So, very high-scoring contest probably on tap tonight. I want to talk about another high-scoring contest, and that was between... The G League Ignite and the Metropolitans 92. Scoot Henderson, Victor Webinyama, 200 plus scouts, Sam Presti in attendance, must watch TV on ESPN2. And oh my goodness, did this thing deliver. Metropolitans 92. Very good overseas team. You have Webinyama, projected number one pick. But even beyond that, Aaron Henry used to play for the Delaware Bluecoats. Very good offensively. Tremont Waters has that experience. Steve Fat, I know he was popping off on Twitter. He's on the roster as well. And Webinyama was vlogging this whole trip to Vegas too. It's on his YouTube channel. They have a squad. And for the G League Ignite, 
Scoo Henderson's back. John Jenkins, the NBA veteran, he's on this team. No Sharif for this contest. Leonard Miller, though, last time you saw him, he could have been in the draft. Ends up withdrawing to play for the Ignite. He's going to be here. And you can kind of just go down the line. Two very strong teams, though. And Scoot Henderson, to start this night out, was on fire. 18 points in the first half. He was hitting it from everywhere. And Scoot Henderson, I mean, he is a special, special talent. Both Victor and Scoot, they're 18 years old. You know, Scoot could have got drafted really, really high last year. Victor, the same exact thing. But you got to wait for that age restriction to wear off. Scoot is just so lethal on both sides of the basketball. But particularly on offense, he is a firecracker around the basket. He's going to posterize you. He's going to do a Euro step. He is so fundamentally sound on that end. It's very hard to make shots over a 7'4", 8'0 wingspan Webinyama. He was able to do it in the first half and he was able to create for himself from all three levels on a bevy of different players from Metropolitan's 92 on the other side of things Victor Webinyama you know just swan shots like it's no nobody's business really you know there's one attempt where he blocked it and they called it goaltend clearly he blocked it um and it looks like that he's not even really jumping and his head's already at the rim very wacky he plays like a guard with how he handles the basketball, with how he takes his jump shot. You just don't see prospects like him. But, oh my goodness. You know, you're watching this game and you're thinking it's a battle of the one and two pick for sure, but just look at how loaded this draft class is going to be. Even beyond them, you have plenty of different talent types on the board. Are these the top two guys? Yes. I don't think that really changes. These guys are generational though. And you're able to view that because both of them showed up on the biggest stage of their careers to this point. Scoot Henderson ends up finishing the game with 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 9 assists. 11 of 21 from the field. And Webinyama, first game in the States. 37 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 blocks. Like, ridiculous. And for him... He scored a lot in the back end of this game. It did not look good for the Metropolitans 92. At halftime, they're down 20 points. And they just start finding him. I mean, he is just letting it fly. Sometimes he's taking it off the dribble. Sometimes you just spot him up. Top of the key corner, doesn't matter. Rising up, dude looks like he's Kevin Durant when he's going for this jump shot. You know, just add on four inches and and you have him there. Same movement, same elevation, not flat-footed whatsoever, and he's putting the ball in the basket. It looks like he's basically parallel with the rim when he's going up for these shot attempts, and he's making it rain. I mean, he was unfazed, 7 of 11 from downtown, 8 of 12 from the free throw line, so dang lengthy, and the way that he dribbles, he's able to cover so much territory off these strides, if he gets caught in the mid-range... Is he the strongest guy upper body-wise? Not right now, but in terms of footwork and in terms of that length, he's able to just go right around you and lay it up and in. There was one play where he was outmatched physically by um, uh, Mika, the Ignite Center, 
and he palms the ball, drives himself into Mika, and just throws it in off the glass. Looks like he got hit in the eye too, just casually getting these buckets down. And when you're watching it, you know, this back and forth exchange, you're watching Metropolitan's 92 climb back in. Who's doing it? It's Victor Webinyama. And even someone like Tremont Wanders chipped in too. But Victor was the guy. And he was even hitting turnarounds on people. You know, he's going for alley-oops. His frame and his ability is just so generational. And I don't think you have to be an expert. I think it, it doesn't matter if you've watched basketball five times or if you've watched it five million times. You look at someone like Victor Webanyama, you know that there's something different about this guy, right? Like generational talent. Is he the best prospect since LeBron? And you can make your own discussions about it, but if you're looking just off that one game, I mean, he's the number one pick. If he closes shop up, I, th- I still think he's number one. That's nothing against Scoot. I think that Scoot's also generational. He's also going to be a franchise changer. And if someone needs a point guard, Scoot Henderson, you know, at one, there's not a win or loss there. There's just two ultimate winners. One and two basically are the number one pick uh, based on what we viewed here and what we viewed from Scoot last year in the the Ignite roster and what he's going to produce this year for them as well. They play again at 12 p.m., so that is going to be Another treat for everybody. I know it might not be as accessible, but man, um, that is easily the most fun I've had watching a basketball game in probably a year. Um, Just because you're just looking at all this talent. You're looking at the future of the league. How can you not be smiling about that? Like It was a joke watching Victor play at some of these segments and Scoot too. I made a tweet like saying like Victor is just playing on a papa shop basically. He's staring at the goal parallel and just flipping it up and in. Papa shot even liked it, so that's how you know that you know my take was on the money there. But it, it just looked too easy. It looked too easy for all of them. And playing against grown adults, they are standing out. I'm so stoked for the G League Ignite this year. I'm so stoked for the G League, and I'm so stoked to watch Victor play. Uh, on Metropolitan's 92. I mean, it was uh, a real treat seeing them clash and you get to see it one more time. But looking at the future outlook, you know, teams probably are going to need to adjust. You see this basketball game, you know what you have in Webb and Yama. Some teams have already taken these early measures. Utah, premier example, they're just trading everybody. You say bye to Rudy Gobert. You say goodbye to Donovan Mitchell. You still have Bogdanovich. You still have Clarkson. I feel like they're going to be the next guys out, and they probably need to do it soon because they do not want to win basketball games. They need to win ping pong balls over. For the OKC Thunder, no Chet Holmgren, no SGA right now. Are they going into the tank race immediately? I don't think so, but I think when the trade deadline hits, if there's a bad injury, you might see the dominoes start to fall. San Antonio, another team where roster wise I think they're probably one of the weaker teams in the league at the moment they're not going to be winning basketball games on the other side guys like the Houston Rockets they're still up and rising are they going to be winning basketball games (laughs) I mean Orlando they look like they're set but there's so many different options and there's so many different ways teams will go about this 
The end of the season, though, is going to be more chaotic than it has been before. Sam Presti, you know, he kind of snuck it in. I wouldn't say it was like a, a really good sneak attack because ESPN has been on his head for the last two years. But you might as well go for that triple crown. Do it one more year, maybe. You get Victor paired up with Chet. You get Scoop paired up with Chet. SGA doesn't really matter. You end up winning. Adam Silver is going to have to have a sit down with some of these guys, though. That is for sure. The landscape of the league for this season has been altered. This this seems like a double draft just based on what you have right in front of you at picks one and two. That's going to do it for today's pod, though. Going to be giving you guys updates on the Adelaide 36ers game tonight. Also going to be giving you guys some chats on you know what will be going on with this roster moving forward. But as I said, that will do it though. Really appreciate you guys sticking around and listening to this one. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.